Welcome to Mint. My name is Adam Levy, and I'm going to be showing you how the creators of today are building the communities of tomorrow by harnessing the power of Web3. This episode welcomes Benny Khan, who is a developer at Gallery.so and co-founder of Beat Foundry, an NFT platform for entirely on-chain generative and curated music. Benny is back for a second episode on Mint, mainly because I love what they're building at Beat Foundry, and his energy and passion for music beams every time he talks about what he does. It's genuinely contagious. Uh, so in this episode, we discuss his thesis on the consumption layer for music collectibles, the biggest problems facing music NFTs today, his thoughts around ownership versus patreon based collectibles, what traits go into valuing music NFTs, what makes one artist more valuable than the other in Web3, Beat Foundry's upcoming drop with Oshi, and so much more. I hope you guys enjoy this conversation. Benny, welcome to Mint. Thank you for being on. Welcome. This is your second time now. First time was Twitter spaces, and now we're doing an actual intimate session. Thank you for being on. How are you? I'm doing really well. It's it's great to see your face and my face this time. I'm yes. uh, looking forward to this. Yes, before we had the barrier of Twitter spaces, but no more. Here we are. I want to dive right in, okay? Uh, for those who didn't maybe check out the first episode, which I highly recommend you do, we basically covered the first drop that Beat Foundry initiated, uh, which was super dope. I collected a few myself. Um, can you tell the world who are you, Benny? What is What does the crypto community need to know about you? But more specifically, how did you get your start in crypto? Yeah. So I'm Benny. Uh, I'm a software engineer and founder of Beat Foundry. Um, and I'm also a jazz musician. So originally, I actually started playing jazz in high school and playing jazz trombone. And I wanted to take that into a career path. It, it kind of seemed like the right path for me at the time. I'd been traveling a lot playing trombone. Um, and I ended up going to the Manhattan School of Music, uh, where I studied jazz for one semester before I realized that the lifestyle of jazz musician just really wasn't for me. Uh, and I wanted to pivot somehow, but I wanted to stay near music some way or another. And, uh, you know, I'd been interested in tech for my whole life. And I had picked up some software engineering skills a little bit before I dropped out and decided, you know what, I can probably pivot and find some way to, to get involved in tech somewhere in the music scene. And uh, so I dropped out and happened to meet somebody who was working on what at the time was a side project, uh, Gallery, uh, which is like a music or, or sorry, it's a, just an NFT display platform. Um, and next thing you know, I'm working there full time. It seemed like the right thing to do. Uh, I just dropped college entirely. Um, and, you know, thinking about ways to get involved in the NFT space, you know, kind of because gallery was not necessarily tangential, but not making NFTs directly gallery is not an NFT project. Uh, I wanted to figure out, you know, kind of understand the context behind what we were doing. So I tried to put myself, uh, or try to find a way to get involved in the space directly and being a 19 year old college dropout, I did not have nearly enough ETH to start <laughs> collecting NFTs. So I decided that I would make my own and being a musician, I thought that would be the, the perfect path is to kind of find my way into the music NFT space. And from there, I, uh, found my way to beat foundry. So, yeah. So dropping out is no joke. Okay. That's, uh, that takes a lot of balls, honestly. What, what, what kind of led to that? Like what led to like, talk to me about the final weeks in college where you're just like, fuck this, like I'm out. How did that kind of come to, how did that come about? Totally. Yeah. And it, it might've had something to do with COVID because, you know, we were, we were at music school and thankfully I was allowed to be on campus. A lot of my friends, you know, had to stay home for, for at this point, this was, you know, pretty early on. Um, and I was able to play with people. Uh, but you know, I, I was just realizing as I, you know, met all these musicians and I, I knew a lot of them before, but it was as it, you know, in college, you do have to think about like, hey, where is this going to take me? I'm, in four years, I'm going to be out of here. And what am I going to be doing? And I could kind of see their perspectives on what they wanted to do. 
And every time, you know, they would say like, yeah, you know what, I'm going to be gigging right out. I'm going to be, you know, at jam sessions at 4am trying to get heard. And when somebody hears me, hopefully I'll get picked up and I'll be playing those things. I'm just imagining, you know, that lifestyle doesn't sound like something that I want to be doing. I, I want to have, you know, a little more stability and, and know, you know, where, where's going to be the next, uh, you know, what's the next thing that I'm doing, right? I'm not just going to be like, okay, hopefully I can schedule some gigs for next week. Um, and, you know, there was a couple other paths in the music industry that, that I saw myself doing, but, you know, at the end of the day, I wasn't like for sure on any of them. So yeah, dropping out, I was just, it, it was constant calling with my mom, you know, calling uh, or talking to all my yeah. friends and figuring out like, is this a path I can do? Even talking to the teachers and uh, uh, faculty at the Manhattan School of Music that I went to. And a lot of them, you know, could see me going in those other directions and, and, and saw that as being a valid path. So I just, uh, I followed my instincts and uh, decided that, you know, dropping out. You know, and also being a jazz musician too, you have to be very self-motivated and, and self-driven. And I thought, you know what, it, I'm, I've motivated myself to get here. I can like, self-drive myself uh to get somewhere else I, I didn't think it would be too much of a challenge and it was a, it was a fun challenge honestly so yeah so what i understand you're working full-time at gallery and doing part-time beat foundry right yeah how do you how do you divvy up your time between the two a full-time job and a part-time side hustle that has basically captured the hearts of like the the music collector space in web3 how do you how do you balance the two for sure yeah so you know i my work with Beat Foundry is mostly, you know, one, talking to people, getting people on board, you know, getting the project out there and uh, planning and scheduling all those things. And that kind of stuff can happen, you know, all day long, anytime during the day. Thankfully, with my work at Gallery, um, you know, the, it's not like a nine to five. I don't have to like be okay. on at a certain time. So I can mix it up with the things I'm doing there. It's all remote work. Um, and and then the engineering side of the stuff that I do for Beat Foundry, which is like smart contracts. And for a while, I was doing the website as well. Um, you know, that stuff I can, I consider myself, I guess, a, a pretty quick engineer. So I'll just like pop it out in a, in a couple hours later at night. I'll get, I'll get the things done that I told myself I would get done for gallery. And later that night, I'll, I'll pop some stuff out. But, you know, doing that does require a little bit of sacrifice on the other aspects of life, you know, hanging out with people. Sometimes it, it's harder to find time to do those other things when I'm, you know, working at smart contracts at 10, 10 PM at night. So, um, yeah. yeah, and my weekend, the same thing. So. I love, I, we love to hear it, man. We love, we love the side hustle, side hustle lifestyle. So when Beat Foundry came about, what was like the Genesis idea or problem that you tried to solve or experiment, experiment that you wanted to basically go after? Like how, how did that come about? Yeah. Yeah. So I, I had been looking at some other projects at the time. Uh, and this was like September of 2021. Um, and I had seen, you know, some projects really nailing one thing, which was, you know, NFTs give these artists, a platform to release something that they find interesting, that the collectors find interesting, and then support themselves by, you know, selling that thing, right? And then continue making art, right? And I thought that was super cool. And I think that's just kind of a byproduct of NFTs. Um, and then seeing that work in the music NFT space with the projects that were around at that point was really cool because, you know, the music industry is something that even people not involved in the music industry know a lot about being, you know, little schemey you know they try to take take a lot of value from the artists and it's hard for artists to make a lot of money really hardest hard for artists to get in and seeing artists that are able to connect with even their niche crowds right the the people who the, they're small even if it's only like two thousand fans at the time they can connect and build something release something and make enough money to continue doing it right continue growing it just it's a much better cycle so i wanted to for sure capture that but i also wanted to give reason for you know, the music to be an NFT, right? And I'd seen a lot of people releasing music that they had either previously released on Spotify, previously released on SoundCloud, 
you know, releasing this song again as an NFT. Uh, maybe later they already wrote it um, or they, they just released it both at the same time, one on SoundCloud, one, one as an NFT. And maybe there's even like a thousand copies of the same song. And I saw that and I was just thinking like from my perspective, what I was, what I was getting, you know, I, I honestly, I couldn't really describe what I was getting. You know, it's like a, I'm getting to own this one of something that a bunch of other people own the exact same thing, but also everybody has on Spotify, right? And it's something that they really, they've already released. So like, you know, it's interesting to have, and I want to support the artist, so I'm going to do it. But, you know, it'd be really cool to have something even more interesting, something that's like personal and something that actually connects me to the artist and makes me feel like I'm part of this artist's journey, right? Um, and for me, that was coming up with some way to allow an artist to release something that is unique per person, right? And the best way to do that for me, or the way that I thought about it, was generative music. Because, you know, in generative music, there's going to be all these different iterations. Each person's going to get one that is completely unique. They only have it, right? And that feels pretty special. So, but the issue with that is, you know, like with art blocks, you know, there's these artists who know how to paint, but they can't just go and make an art blocks drop. You know, you have to know right. how, to, how to code. You have to know how to make generative art, right? And I was thinking, you know, I don't even know how to make generative music, right? And I don't want to learn how to do that. I'm, I'm a jazz musician. That just doesn't seem like something interesting to me for the type of music that I enjoy. Um, and other artists, I'm sure, relate to me. So I want to figure out, is there a way that we can make generative music in a way that any artist can get on board with? They, they don't need to learn anything. They can just make the regular music and we can make it generative. And the way that I discovered doing that was splitting up the song into various stems. Maybe it's the drum part, it's the solo, it's the lyrics, it's a, you know, a little background part that's going on splitting that up and having the artist write a bunch of versions of each of those. And what's cool is a lot of artists actually do that in their composition process. Anyway, a lot mm -hmm. of artists will write three drum parts and be kind of picking out like, you know, which one do I actually want on the record? Right. So we're actually going to have them write all of that up front, Right. So all three drum parts, all of these, all the melody parts, all the lyrics um, and on chain, we're going to mix and match them so that, you know, there's a certain amount of total combinations, a certain amount of iterations that you can make. And each person's going to get one combination, right? So when you get one, you're getting this unique thing that the artist fully composed, right? Every part of the song, the, the, from the drums to the lyrics, that was composed by the artist. So, you know, it's guaranteed to sound good so long as the artist makes good music. Um, and you're going to own this one of one that is super unique. They composed it. You get to feel that connection with the artist being like, you know, you have this thing that they composed that nobody else has. And you're, you know, you're then, you're then involved with the greater community of like super fans that also enjoy that artist who all want to have the same thing as you. Uh, so it creates this uh, really cool uh, sort of community around the artist and, you know, gets the, the artist's community involved with them more directly than I think I've seen with other music NFTs. Um, and I think that's kind of the idea behind having the, the generativeness. Uh, it. Yep. Got it. So you brought up a couple points that are extremely fascinating. Okay. Which is a, it's like a topic of debate for a season four. We talked about patronage ownership, what it means to buy a music NFT. What do you actually get when you get it? What does it mean when it gets diluted by via multiple editions or one of one? What does it really mean? And you share a lot of the same sentiment that Justin Blau shares when he came on mint a couple episodes back, basically stating that I don't know what I get for collecting music for the sake of collecting music if it's uh, if it's not a one of one for example right and i'm not gonna i'm not gonna like quote him word for word because it's very much like a high level paraphrase but it's very much the same energy that you're kind of communicating right now so you're telling me when when someone basically collects something on beat foundry it's unique within itself it's a one of one off the bat right because the way the music is composed the way that the stems are stacked on one another the way vocals are basically integrated with the drum track and the synths etc 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 so what kind of rights do you get what do you get when you buy a beat foundry nft like any ip ownership is it is it fully ours to, to fuck around with do whatever we want like how do you how do you think about that 
Yeah. So I guess at this point we have decided that it is fully yours. Uh, you can oh. do absolutely anything you want with it. Uh, the artist, you know, that they, they're going to release their music in the other ways that they want to, but like in this format, in the beat foundry way, right. Which to, to add kind of to what you were saying, which I think is even more special is that, you know, they were, these artists write music for beat foundry. This is, they, you can't really, you know, use a song you wrote a bunch of years ago to, you know, release that on beat foundry. Cause you have right. to write all the extra parts. So you're getting this thing that is nowhere else. Um, and in our format, uh, the artists agree that, you know, yeah, it's whoever owns it or not even whoever owns it, literally anybody who can listen to it, you know, anybody can take any iteration, whether or not you own it or not. And all the rights are, are there. It's, uh, um, yep. Okay, so I'm going to the Beat Foundry site right now as we speak. Okay, I know uh, Oshi's doing a drop on the 16th, right? Or on the 12th? On the 12th. On the 12th. Yes. And there's going to be 808, if I'm not mistaken, yep. right? Editions. So yep. 808 editions of randomly generated uh, on-chain music by Oshi, who is a legendary artist. Uh, tons and tons of credibility, both in Web 2 and web three so you're telling me when i collect one of oshi's things i can then go list it on spotify and if it just so happens that i get randomly selected with the best uh sounding uh auto generated part or a song i could actually do whatever the hell i want with it monetize it use it in my podcast uh uh have a super bowl ad around it perform it at the grammys do all these things and it's mine that's how you're yeah yeah you, there could you be could, 800 I mean, 808 versions of that song on Spotify worth streaming and worth listening to. Is that, is that kind of like, is that what I'm understanding? Yes, you're, you're definitely right. Yeah. Although, you know, it's, it's a question of why, you know, like at a certain point, I mean, obviously you are bringing back, you know, things to the artists. I, I don't imagine anybody releasing all 808 versions on Spotify. <laughs> if they did, I would add all of them to my playlist because I'm trying to listen to that. Because yeah, they are all connected to Oshi one way or another. People are going to try to figure out who this is if they do, if the person releasing it on Spotify doesn't say that already, you know. So, um, yeah, I, I think it, it, okay. given that it's an NFT too, like enough of what Oshi needs to get from this, which is you know having having the, his music tied to him, right? All the on-chain credits are there, and all the lyrics are there; they're his. Um, and then you know whenever somebody retrades this, there's going to be royalties and all that, and, that, and that's what he's getting from this, right? If somebody uses his music, that's only good for him, right? That's only yeah. and that's good for us as well, right? So, yeah. you know, Benny, what what's your end goal with doing something like this? Is it is it just to like play on the edge of what's possible and creative for musicians? Is it to actually produce? legit music compositions that could end up in top 40 like what what's what's the goal here for you and and also what's what's essentially the goal for the artists that you guys are partnering with currently and will essentially partner with in the future yeah so we are talking you know we, we've talked with a bunch of artists and a lot of them are from different perspectives some of them have never even done anything related to nfts but they've made it pretty large in the the non-nft space got you know millions of listens on spotify and i i've been just kind of gauging like where they see the value in Beat Foundry the most. And for, for most of them, it's creating something unique and interesting that is going to connect with a, you know, the, the crowd that is most close to their center, right? Their, their strongest community, their strongest fans. Um, and I think our goal is to just facilitate that for all these various artists, right? Because, you know, there's going to be the artists that only have, uh, you know, have only released music NFTs. They've never released anything on SoundCloud, never released anything on Spotify. You know, they've they don't have too many listens their music is but their music is amazing and they've got people who love it and they want to connect with those people like we want to facilitate that for them as well as the people who have you know millions and millions of streams on spotify who just want to release something to connect with the you know the thousand or so people who are in that top one percent of listeners right and, and truly love them so the first thing is yes we really want to just release something interesting and unique that'll allow these these artists to, to connect with those people 
Um, and then uh, I guess on the other hand, I, I had something, but I'm totally losing my train of thought. Um, <laughs> but uh, so it's, yeah, it's you know primarily for the, for the edge of experimentation, essentially. It's like breaking the boundaries of what's possible, experimenting, thinking outside the box. I still think back to my my like part of my questions like could these songs end up in top 40 could they end up being nominated for a Grammy and I know it's only the second drop and it's the first drop with an artist but I'm already thinking like 10 steps ahead because I've never seen like music being composed in this way this format let alone on chain let alone using software um, yep. you're basically like really testing the boundaries for what's possible and what's not possible and uh, yeah, I, I'm really curious to see how the how the songs will come out and if they actually are enjoyable. If your thesis of stacking stems like that and automatic like auto generating them actually produces an, a, a listenable song and you're smiling, I take it as if it is right. It is it is to that extent. Yes, I mean already just from the samples we posted on Twitter, you know, the just the short samples, you know, those are auto generated from all the various stems and. When I listen to it, like, first of all, you would never think it's generative. You would never think, okay, there's another version of this somewhere out there. If you just heard that, right? And, you know, I'm already trying to make sure that when I'm, I'm going to be there at the Mint and getting like one of each song. Because when I, when we originally got the, the samples from Oshi, when he just wrote the original four bass songs, because basically the way that, that this works is there's, you know, four bass songs. And then of those songs, there's a certain amount of combinations that mm -hmm. reaches 808. And right now it's actually, even it's 202, 202, 202, 202. Mm -hmm. And I'm trying to make sure that I get one of each. So it's like a little album of mine, right? Uh, because these songs are seriously insane. Like I wish, I'm going to try to find some way to be listening to this, like <laughs> add it to my Spotify playlist or something just so that it like will be in the mix because I need to be listening to these songs all the time. They're, they're really insane. And we're all, and you know, we've already, we haven't announced any artists, but we're getting music from a couple other artists. Uh, they're in the pipeline right now. And everything I've been hearing is unbelievable. It's all different genres. You know, we haven't, we don't have any artists working in the same genre right now. So um, it, it's just, Sick. it's truly great music. And uh, the generative thing doesn't even get in the way. It's, it's I got to really tell cool. you, dude, your energy is so contagious. I, I feel like, I feel like beaming off of you. Your excitement is un, unmatched and un, <laughs> unreal. I love to see it. You know, part of, of minting all these collectibles and part of buying music NFTs, a lot of the conversation currently, as we go through the music, music cycle, music NFT cycles, like, okay, how do you actually enjoy these collectibles now? All these collectibles are sitting in your wallet. They're each worth an X amount of money, whatever the whatever the community is willing to buy, buy it for. There's multiple variations of them. How does a consumption layer tie into this? How, what is your thesis around the consumption layer as it pertains, one, to multiple editions uh, and, I guess, to, to music as a whole in Web3? Yeah, so... I always say when people ask us about like, you know, how do we think about royalties? How do we think about all these kind of external problems that, you know, it's not going to be up to us to, to find that solution. And I, this is kind of one of those cases where I would also say that, you know, that the consumption layer isn't necessarily like our responsibility, but, you know, thankfully I work at a, I work full time at a company that is kind of this consumption layer, right? Gallery is that consumption layer. And there may or may not be like a little partnership in the works for V Foundry Gallery and uh, all the holders. So, um, but I'll say, you know, like the, the, these consumption layers, having this perspective of being working at this consumption layer, I know that this is a big thing that they're thinking about, that music NFTs, you know, music in, you know, pre-Web3, music is, is just the greatest or like the largest art form, uh, at least I, I think it is, you know, it's uh, um, most people listen to music. Uh, so I foresee that this music NFT thing will uh, grow quite quickly when, when, when 
interesting things start happening. Um, and I hope vFoundry is one of those interesting things. I think it is. Um, but these platforms are thinking about this. And I think, you know, with, with good enough curation, uh, being able to create play playlists and, and play through them and have a good user interface and uh, the sound sound good. Mm -hmm. uh, and then I, I think, uh, you know, I, I'm going to be wanting to to have like a, you know, a gallery app with my playlist and be listening to that in my AirPods mm. uh, when I'm walking. So um, interesting. Okay. Got it. Got it. How do you, how do you think about like the types of traits that go into valuing music, valuing, excuse me, music NFTs? What is your thought process around that? Like, what do you look for? Cause I, I know you collect yourself and uh, beyond building, you support artists, um, whether it be through beat foundry or independently. So when it comes to actually valuing a music NFT, whether it be in addition, whether it be a one of one, whether there's IP attached to it, how do you think about like, what's your mental model around that? So I am a, I'd say I'm a pretty simple person in that I just, if it's good music and uh, honestly, a, a little bit of value for me in the, the art that goes with it. I think album covers are, are very cool. I think that's, that's been around for a while. And I think that that adds to the experience having some sort of visual aspect and it could even be a video. I think that's interesting as well. Um, but if the quality of music is really, really high level, then that that creates all of the value for me. I honestly don't really think too much about the rights. Uh, I don't think too much about uh, you know what any special technological capabilities this has, or whether or not this NFT is going to be useful for something else in the future. Uh, I just want to collect great music, and I want to support the artists that make that great music. So um, yeah, pretty simple for me, and mm. uh, I'm sure a lot of people share my opinions as well. Yeah, Benny, how do you think about like? how artists should be prioritizing their time should be should they be prioritizing their time to build virality on web 2 or building like an intimate collector base on web 3 and which one's more important you think i guess it would it would depend on the artist for which one's more important i think they're both i think they're both very important i think you know like some artists might need uh just to support themselves to have a kind of a majority in one or the other, or, you know, if you have virality, you're probably going to have also like a, a tight collector base, unless mm -hmm. you're kind of pulling the sort of industry plant kind of thing where you're just making music that uh, is a mass appeal, but doesn't have anything truly interesting about it. And isn't going to be remembered in a year, then you might not have that, that close collector group. Uh, so I think, you know, at, at the core, you should always try to have that, that core group of people that is going to support you because that'll allow you to just keep going. Um, and they're also going to be your best, uh, gauge for how well you're doing and and what you're what you're making and who your audience is right because those are the people who listen to you the most um, so if you're going to get to that viral stage you know i think you should definitely have the, the grounds to, for the the, the small tight-knit community first otherwise you're you're what i said before which is just like you're making music that is maybe mass appealing but not truly interesting not going to be remembered mm -hmm. in a year because it's just the hype of today right it's yeah bad. yeah yeah it makes a lot of sense you know we're seeing we're seeing with every new platform comes its creators. So TikTok has its TikTok creators, Instagram has its creators, Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, etc. And now Web3 is starting to birth its creators, right? We're seeing very strong instances of that, of people really creating Web3 full, full, like immersive experiences and bringing value back to the collectors and how that's really benefiting them financially uh, and on an ownership level with basically being able to own their creator economy, monetize their fans the way they want to without having some form of middleman in between and platforms like yourself actually empowering artists to, to further engage with their independence and further engage with their creativity and give them that level of in, uh, financial freedom that a lot of music artists in Web2 don't necessarily experience uh, off the bat. So who are some of your favorite artists in the space right now, music artists particularly that, that are on your radar?
Yeah, so two favorites got to be Oshi and Daniel Allen. Okay. I uh, love love them both. Um, I think I've, I've heard music from Sober Rob as well. That's really yeah. fantastic. Um, Lack Honey, he, show, he shared me some stuff recently that's absolutely amazing. Um, Latasha, I always think she's yeah. doing some interesting things. Uh, those, are, those are probably, I guess, my top five. I would say that's okay. my top five. What's up, guys? Adam Levy here. Sorry for the quick pause. I wanted to give some love to our two NFT sponsors that are making this episode a reality. They are Coinvise and Polygon Studios. On Coinvise, you can create a personal or community-owned social token on Ethereum or Polygon. Coinvise also helps you create incentives through token rewards and bounties, NFT business models, and bot integrations for Discord. Discover more today by visiting coinvise.co. Polygon Studios is the gaming and NFT arm of Polygon, who's focused on growing the blockchain gaming and NFT industry while bridging the gap between Web 2 and Web 3 gaming. The Polygon Studios ecosystem comprises highly loved blockchain games like OpenSea, Upshot, Avagachi, Zed Run, Skyweaver, Decentraland, and Decentral Games. If you're a gamer, builder, or NFT creator looking to join the Polygon Studios ecosystem, get started today by visiting polygonstudios.com. All right, back to the episode. So from, from a collector's point of view, what makes one music artist more valuable than the other in Web3? In... In Web3, like I'll say there's kind of two perspectives. There's the in Web3 and then there's just the alone, like what makes this more valuable. Okay. For that second one, I'll say it's kind of what I mentioned before, which is just the quality of music and the quality, the effort that went into this. And then like, if I actually enjoy the music myself, the the second part, the Web3 is, you know, I see like artists like Oshi who are truly, you know, he's pioneering in every every space right now he's done you know sound he's done catalog he's done you know he's working on his own thing heads down which is super cool um then he now he's doing beef foundry and he's kind of pushing the space forward as well so like i think that is really interesting to see because i i can almost predict for somebody like oshi that if i'm following him and you know if i have his nfts that they're going to you know be high value and, and that, that it's worth owning because he's going to continue to be pushing the space he's going to do things that are interesting um and i think for all those five artists that i just mentioned they're you know they're all doing that they're all participating in the in the in the new things that are coming up the new projects that are coming up all the all the new technological uh ways to get these uh music nfts out there uh i i definitely see that as kind of being like the web3 appeal i guess just mm. who's pushing the space um because i can predict that it's going to happen more they're going to continue to be at the f- forefront are the models that music artists are engaging with today from building a, a, a creator DAO and bringing value back to their collectors via social token or issuing collectibles as one of ones on gated curated platforms and other activities that like music artists are engaging with from creativity, from creating to, to, to making money, et cetera. Is this niche culture or could this actually be mainstream? You think? I think there a lot of what you mentioned is probably niche and I don't okay. foresee it becoming mainstream. Why? I foresee because I think, you know, one, there's a lot of, you know, the average person just wants to listen to the music. And that's why I see like the, the main mainstream thing being like, sure, owning a music NFT might become mainstream, right? And people might not even think about it as an NFT. Like in a, in a far future, it's like, okay, I'm just buying music online. Mm-hmm. This is just back to like iTunes days. Like right. I'm buying this song online. And yes, it, it has a lot more advantages than when I was buying things on iTunes. Like it just follows me everywhere. And, you know, I support the artist uh, with, with a little more. And this is something really interesting that I, that I find really cool. I think that is something that will for sure become mainstream stream uh but the things that are more like you know get involved do something specific and and bring you know like with some DAOs that i've seen that allow people to 
uh, vote on what the artists are going to make. You know, I don't foresee anybody except for the small crowd that likes those artists, uh, the, the, the niche collectors, you know, getting involved in those kind of things. Um, unless there was, it would have to be a very large scale DAO where it's like any artist, because if you're just limited to like the five artists you can choose to, you know, vote on, right. Mm-hmm. Then it's only going to be those five artists, you know, their, their big collector base or their, uh, strongest collector base, right. The, the super fans of theirs. Right. So in that way, like those things are going to be siloed, which is why I don't really see it being, you know, necessarily mainstream. And then, like I said before, like there's just, there's the added layer of, I've got to do something to make this happen. You know, there's, there's a lot of action there. Uh, and, uh, That'll always be there. I don't, I don't foresee it going away. But I think there's too much action for the average person who's just interested in the music. If we're talking about music NFTs specifically yeah, and, and yeah. music uh, blockchain technology. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. I want to talk about more of this upcoming drop. Okay, the reason why you're here today, which I'm so I'm so excited about. I got to tell you, I think it's so sick. I heard the sample on Twitter. I'm like, shit, this was randomly generated. <laughs> like, <laughs> like how and it sounds good. Like I could I could actually I could see myself listening to that. You know. What is the what is the inspiration behind this drop? What, what what tell me the story? Like how did this drop come about? How did the collaboration with Oshi come together? Why Oshi as the first artist that you're collaborating with? Kind of give me give me the entire narrative here. Totally. So yeah, with our I guess I'll start back with our last drop, which is the okay. Ocarinas. Um, and you know, our when we were thinking about that one, you know, we had all these ideas about how we could get the music on chain in the form of MIDI. Um, to represent, have the compositional content of a song be on chain. Um, and then just like the actual technological feat of getting it all to be put together and making sure that the mint went well and all those kind of things. And, you know, we, it, it went as well as it could. And uh, we're super happy with how everything went uh, with that one. But, you know, the, the actual music itself was interesting. And it was, it was you know, it, it sounded good, but it wasn't like the kind of thing I'm trying to listen to on Spotify, right? Like I, I do enjoy when I hear them. They're very, they're very interesting. It proves the concept of, okay, yes, this can sound good. Uh, but it wasn't fully there yet. And when we were introduced to to Oshi and we heard his music, you know, I was thinking like, how is this guy, you know, and, and it's because he just hasn't released his, you know, too much music in these other platforms. And he's kind of focused a lot of his energy into the Web3 space. I, I, at least that's my perspective. You know, how is this guy not like, you know, top, you know, top charts artists? Like this music sounds unbelievable. I have never heard anything like it. it. I can't even tell you what genre it is. I don't know how to describe what genre mm-hmm. it is. Uh, his voice is so beautiful. I was just listening to music and I'm thinking like, okay, I need this on my playlist right now. I need to be listening to this. And when I was, when we were just, you know, thinking, how can we get this with the lyrics, you know, cause there, now there's this new element, you know, the first drop with the ocarinas, we didn't have any vocal element. It was all produced um, in logic uh, by just like writing the notes out in MIDI. Uh, and, you know, now there's like these audio things, you know, he's going to be sending us a recording of his voice and we have to be able to get that on chain somehow. Uh, and for us, we were, we were just trying to figure out like how, how we could do that. And next thing you know, MIDI actually includes lyrics in the format. So when you're getting, like, let's say you download the MIDI for when, whenever you buy uh, uh, a bridge for, the, for this upcoming drop, you could put the MIDI into like GarageBand and it'll show uh, above the, the notes, it'll show the lyrics uh, that, that Oshi was singing. Um, and we, you know, it was just trying to figure that out. Uh, and, then, and then obviously, you know, figure out like, you know, now we're working with a new artist. It's, it's not in-house. You know, we're, we're truly going to be accomplishing what our goal is, which is to allow this artist to connect with a large amount of people and then, uh, you know, reap in the benefits of that and connect with their super fans and then also bring in people just who are interested in Beat Foundry. Not everybody who's going to be buying one of these is an Oshi fan. Maybe they just like Beat Foundry, right? And they're trying to, to stay involved here, but, you know, they like the music. They've heard the music, right? So uh, it, it's just trying... We, 
we've just been trying to think a lot about, you know, how can we truly accomplish this with somebody out of house? And uh, that is, you know, you know, that we, that what, that kind of stuff uh, made us put a lot of thought into like total supply, you know, 808. We've got this allow list that we're doing before, right? There's going to be 404 people who can mint the day before. uh, And all of Oshi's current collectors are in that allow list, as well as a bunch of Ocarina holders. Um, and, uh, you know, that was something we really wanted to do to, to get mm-hmm. back to the people that are his super collectors already, the, the hundred or so people who collect his NFTs. Um, so, uh, and then, uh, yeah, the songs themselves, the fact that there's only four songs, yeah. right. And for the ocarinas, there were seven songs, you know, kind of curating a sort of album vibe. And then all the art that goes with that this time, there's going to be, uh, more than just one piece of art per song. When you look at the ocarinas, you see like there's various colors. There's the black and white one. There's the, you know, blue and pink one. Uh, and every within those various colors, there's a bunch of combinations, but the art stays the same for the the kind of mm-hmm. global sound that those give off. Uh, whereas for this one, you know, each song is going to have various different art. You might get one that uh, has the same chord progression as another, but has a, you know, really cool, like steel looking case. Uh, looks like a CD case that looks like it's made out of steel or one of them might be like more plastic looking or shiny and kind of uh, mm-hmm. translucent a little bit. So uh, yeah, there's a lot of stuff that a lot, a lot of thought that went into this one. Um, we're just super excited to be releasing the quality of music that comes with this one. I think that's just the most important part is that this is music that anybody can enjoy and listen to. And uh, the generative thing truly does not get in the way. That's just a, that's a, a feature that allows more people to connect and more people to, to feel connected to Oshi. So, so, so sick. You know, one thing you keep bringing up is it's, it's genuinely on chain. There's also like mm-hmm. commentary around music NFTs not being entirely on chain where the media file is actually on either on Arweave or IPFS, right? And it kind of just referencing back to the collectible itself. But why, why is that important? Like, why does the music file itself need to be on chain? Like, what, what, what do you get? What can you do when it's on chain versus if it's on IPFS? Or are we even? Why was that so important to this drop? Yeah. So I do spend a lot of time thinking about these kind of questions. The on-chain, off-chain one has been probably the most thought that I've put into uh, any you know Web3 philosophy question. Okay. And I kind of narrowed it down to three things that I think give anything a reason to be on-chain. Um, and the first one is going to be interoperability uh, so that you know whatever's on-chain can be interacted with through other smart contracts and other other things, right? Other places on the blockchain. Uh, there's permanence, uh, which, you know, the on-chain, the, the blockchain is a pretty solid database. Uh, it doesn't go away, you know, it'll be here forever. So permanence is a very important one. Uh, and then the final one is like responsibility slash verifiability, right? It's like, can we, is there a reason why we need to verify something and prove it in some way in a public way, right? Because the blockchain is public, you can see what's going on, right? There are, are reasons to prove but like for DeFi, DeFi is the best example of that, right? You want all the rules on chain so that you know you're going to make your money back when you pull out, right? That's like the best example for, for verifiability, yeah. right? For Foundry, I think mostly those other two apply. And the verifiability is something that could apply in the future when, you know, if there is, if we were making promises like, which is something we plan on doing, like, okay, when you put in this input, you're going to get this song output, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, that is something that we want to be verifiable because when you buy something and you've been told, okay, I... You know, I'm going to put in my birthday and it's going to change the, the, the song. It's going to change the output of the song. If that doesn't always happen, it's like, what did I just buy? You know, that that rule would be good to have on chain. So that's kind of the verifiable thing that might apply. Got but it. one, permanence, you know, having the composition of the song entirely on chain, right? This means that no matter what Beat Foundry is, no matter what 
uh, Oshi is. Oshi can die. Beef Outer can die. That is still there. What you got is is there. You have the full composition, and that is yours, right? And you could do. You could even later on, if you don't like the recording, or if if you outlive the recording of Oshi and even wanted to redo it later on in two hundred years, you know, you have the composition to remake this song, right? That that's the the core of the NFT, right? Um, you can put that into uh, an Ableton or whatever DAW is where people are using in 200 years uh, and uh, and turn it into something and, and you mm. still have that. So that's the permanence. And then the interoperability is also really important because like I said, this is free rights, right? Anybody can use this. You know, we've already been talking to platforms like Arpeggi uh, who are interested in possibly connecting to our stems uh, and allowing people to compose using the stems and by just grabbing the stems directly from the blockchain. Uh, and, and pulling in the compositional content allows them to truly to make something right off the bat. They don't have to, you know, find out, you know, for other music NFTs that are based on just audio, right? You can't really manipulate audio too well. So like you're going to have to download the audio, find some way to turn it into something manipulatable like, you know, MIDI, right? Turn it into MIDI somehow. And if you're going to get that into like an arpeggi DAW, you know, you, you can either, right off the bat with, with audio, you can use it as sort of like a sample. You can maybe just grab the drum part or just a little portion and have it loop or something like that. And that's interesting. But, you know, right off the bat with, with blockchain or with BeatFoundry, you know, Arpeggi can plug in, grab the MIDI, and you can be working with that immediately. And there's, you know, a lot more you can do with that because that's, uh, that's the full composition. You know, that's not an audio file. Nobody knows how to work with audio files and change the, the frequencies and all that kind of stuff to, mm -hmm. to manipulate it. So um, that's the yeah. interoperability aspect of it. So yeah. right now, you know, we're accomplishing those first two. Um, and then the verifiability uh, is the, the third one that will, depending on the drop, will, will apply. So what's the benefit then of having it on Arweave or IPFS? Like why, why use that model? Like what's the downside of having it on chain that you would otherwise use Arweave or IPFS to basically host? Yeah. So the costs are the main thing, you know, the, okay. the right now the blockchain is not cheap um, and getting yeah. things on chain is, is just too expensive and sometimes it's just not feasible. Uh, there's, there's a limit to the amount of bytes you can even put on chain at once. Uh, and just the size of a transaction, the size of a block is limiting, right? So, um, you know, that's the first thing that I would think about. You know, if you're putting a huge video, you know, you, realistically, you can't get a video on chain uh, because one, it doesn't fit into one transaction. And even if you did split it up into a bunch of different transactions, that's going to cost you millions, it literally can cost millions of dollars worth of ETH, right? So that's what I would say the, the biggest thing for IPFS and Arweave. And also, um, and given the cost is a, is a big thing, I'm a very big proponent of like, what doesn't need to go on chain, what doesn't apply to those, shouldn't be on chain. There's no reason to like try to get something on chain that doesn't necessarily need to be, it doesn't apply to those reasons, right? Like um, the example I always give is if somebody's making a website and they want their whole user graph to be stored on chain, right? And that's data for their website. Well, I'm thinking, you know, if the website goes down, does this on-chain data mean anything anymore? You know, does it, you know, the website went down now, like I can't, this on-chain doesn't mean anything beyond mm -hmm. the website. Did it need to be on-chain in the first place, right? Mm -hmm. In my opinion, the website should just have a database on their end where they store all the data they need for all the users so that if they go down, the database goes down too, right? And it's better user yeah. experience because nobody needs to pay gas every time they do anything, right? So yeah. what needs to be on-chain should be on-chain and what doesn't, doesn't. And IPFS and Arweave are a really great way at accomplishing the permanence aspect of something uh, without you know, getting something on chain and having to pay that cost, right? Because on IPFS and Arweave, it's going to live beyond whatever API you set up, right? So um, I think that is a, a valid solution for a lot of people. Benny, what were the biggest challenges with bringing this project to life? And what were some of the things you learned from basically producing the first drop to now producing the second drop? Totally. So there's, I would say there's two main like categories of challenges that I've dealt with and that's like technical yeah. challenges and then just like, 
you know, Beat Foundry challenges, like the the idea of Beat Foundry and, and how to move it forward. And the the technical challenges uh, can be just summed up by solving the problem that nobody else has really solved before, which is getting the MIDI on chain, figuring out how to put that together on chain and make something that's that's readable right off the bat. And then having all the other data we need, like the composer, the you know everything that's involved in in the metadata, and having the system work. Right? You know, a, a big thing that that I've uh, had to deal with is you know there's all these generative projects out there like art blocks where you can have pretty much an infinite amount of results, right? Depending right. on the input, you know, let's say the, the random factor of an NFT is just the transaction hash. You know, whenever somebody mints an art blocks NFT, there could be so many different results, right? But for BeeFoundry, uh, when you mint an NFT, there's only a finite amount of results because the artist wrote a certain amount of stems and there's only so many combinations of those, right? And normally there's more combinations than there are, than we can mint, right? Then, then we open up for minting. Uh, but, if let's say we minted all of them, right? Like how do we ensure that no two people mint the same one? You know, that's like a, right. that's a big challenge that we've faced just technically. Um, and thankfully we, we, we found a solution to that, but that would took us you know a long time. And then there's the, the beat foundry side of it, which is how quickly do we move? How do we work with a bunch of artists concurrently? You know, are we going to do, you know, are we going to just keep it curated and only work with artists one on one on one? Are we going to start releasing, you know, five artists at a time and kind of split it up? Or are we going to allow anybody to release, you know, on the platform and just like open it up so that, you know, any average artist can, can, can do it. We don't even need to get involved. Right. And those kind of decisions have been, uh, you know, you know, problems, not necessarily problems for us. It's just like the, the, the energy it takes to, to figure that kind of stuff out. And, uh, you know, those are, those are, are very important things. And, you know, a lot of projects are going different ways, you know, catalog opened it up and now most people can, you know, anybody can release something on catalog sound is, is, you know, doing more additions now they're releasing in different total supplies um snoop dog just did one which i believe was like a thousand which is really cool yeah. um and uh you know we're still we're also still experimenting with with the supply thing and then yeah just figuring out like how to schedule you know we've talked with probably around you know 20 artists at this point and you know managing that and trying to figure out okay well, what's the ordering of this and you know who are we gonna have next and we want to make sure that we diversify the genres um, and get people involved who have never done NFTs before. You know, there's a couple, uh, like I said before, there's a couple artists who just released on Spotify and Apple Music, and they're trying to get in the space. And like, how do we, how do we work with them in the most efficient way? How do we, you know, make the process super easy for an artist? Because we don't want, like I said before, also we we don't want the artist to even uh, think about anything different to make this kind of music. You know, there's the the generative thing should be back of mind for them, right? They should be writing music the way that they want to write their music. Uh, and we can handle everything related to generate generative, you know, MIDI, um, and making that process, you know, streamlined for the artist is something we've also uh, spent a lot of time thinking about. And uh, uh, we're, we're getting, but you know, we've only worked with at this point three artists, and we're we're just getting better as as we as we go through. Um, and uh, but it's it's fun working with the artists and hearing how how they think about it, how they how the experience compares to other experiences they've had composing for people that are you know. Com composing or writing or producing for people that are not just, you know, for their own record. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I I'd say those are the, the, the two main areas that we've been uh, focusing on the most. Amazing. So April 12th, the drop, 808, uh, 808 NFTs, 404 of which are basically available for pre-mint for Oshi's first uh, early supporters, including some of the, you call them, I keep butchering Orcanas, right? <laughs> Ocarina. Ocarina. <laughs> yep. <laughs> um, so I'm I'm super stoked, Benny. Before I let you go and before we wrap this up, where can we find you? Where can we learn more about the drop? Uh, and what should we expect basically leading up to it? Today's April 5th. So this will be coming out on Thursday. Okay. So what what should we expect kind of leading up to this? 
Yep. So uh, I would say, you know, definitely follow the Twitter, which is at BeatFoundryNFTs. Um, and just keep an eye out. We're probably going to be posting every day at this point. Uh, tomorrow, we're, there's going to be a pretty big post. I think for the, the website, there's going to be a big change on the website that's going to prepare for this Mint. Um, and that is where the Mint is going to be happening on April 12th. Um, and for those of you who are on the allow list, uh, make sure to, you know, you have the whole day on April 11th, uh, which is next Monday, uh, to Mint. You can Mint one at any time, uh, starting from 12 a.m. Uh, east to, you know, 11.59 uh, Eastern. Um, and, uh, yeah, make sure to be there at 1 PM on, uh, on the 12th. Amazing, Benny. Thank you so much. Uh, we're going to have to do something like this again for the next drop. I love what you're doing. I love your energy and I love how you're helping musicians and tapping into what's possible with creativity, software, and, uh, crypto. So thank you so much and best thank of luck. Thank you so much. Thank you. What's up guys. If you've gotten this far, then I owe you a listener badge NFT. Go to adamlevy.io forward slash poop, that's P-O-A-P, and click the respective season. Fill out your info and I'll distribute the free to mint NFT at the end of the season. Also, please make sure to rate and subscribe to the podcast. You won't believe it, but it helps me out a ton. And finally, hit me up on Twitter, at LevyChain. I want to hear what you're building, the latest crowdfund you're trying to complete, or if you just simply want to chat. If you couldn't tell already, I love talking about where crypto meets the creator economy, and it's no different if it's coming from you directly. Thank you so much for your support. It means the world. And we'll catch you on the next episode.